My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 140, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 17 through 18, 2 Chronicles 18 and 19, and Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, chapter 5. 1 Kings 17, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravines brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replies, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devoted believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah 
had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going to one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Yes, he replied, go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whether a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say Elijah is here? I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah's here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they all called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. 
Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud, as small as a man's hand, is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came to Elijah. Tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Second Chronicles 18 Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Some years later, he went down to see Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first, seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I not? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micah, son of Imlah. The king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micah, son of Imlah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria, with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Canaan, had made iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Machai said to him, Look, the other prophets, without exception, are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Machai said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. When he arrived, the king asked him, Machai, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. 
The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven, standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Cana, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Micaiah replied, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to the Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. For when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the breastplate and the scale armor. The king told the chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raged, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans until evening. Then at sunset, he died. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu, the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the land, in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, Consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord, who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests, and heads of Israelite families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes, and they lived in Jerusalem. He gave them these orders, you must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. In every case that comes before you from your people who live in the cities, whether bloodshed or other concerns of the law, commands, decrees, or regulations, you are to warn them not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise, his wrath will come on you and your people. Do this and you will not sin. 
Amariah, the chief priest, will be over you in any matter concerning the Lord, and Zebediah, son of Ishmael, the leader of the tribe of Judah, will be over you in any matter concerning the king, and the Levites will serve as officials before you. Act with courage, and may the Lord be with those who do well. Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, chapter 5. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. If you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume, His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedar. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. We continue to read about the three types of Hebrew love, Raya, Ahava, and Dod, in the story of the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. If you remember from yesterday, Ahava is the committed love to one another. God called us to, and this was the one within the one flesh relationship described in Genesis 2. And Dr. Mackey sees as reflected here in this story, Raya, the best friend feelings, and Dod, the sexual craving for intimacy, are also divine gifts of love God designed for this type of relationship. Another specific and interesting note about chapter 5 of the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, Father Mike Schmitz brought out, and it's drawn from the book uh, Theology of the Body by Pope John Paul II. I haven't read it yet, but it does seem really interesting. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 4 of the Song of Solomon, where it says the lover knocks on the door and he waits for his beloved to answer. Father Mike Schmitz points out how this is her decision, and Pope John Paul describes it as her always having mastery of her own mystery. He goes on to say that even in a married relationship, if or when a man initiates intimacy every time, and I would imagine a woman as well, in this case, she can say or he can say no. He knocks, takes the risk, and waits. This is the vulnerability between them. It's about giving, not taking. We give or don't give. We don't take from one another. Father Mike Schmitz and Pope John Paul II view the reference to sister in last chapter in this one as reminding the lover that he is first to love her for her own sake, like one does their sibling. This comes before the desire or need to take. 
Again, ahava, perhaps even raya, is before dode, if and when there might be conflict. If we approach each other in a married relationship first, seeing each other as existing for their own sake, because God created us and loved us, giving each of us a portion of power and authority, agency over our bodies, then, from this theological truth, can we truly be givers to one another. Father Mike Schmitz describes it as seeking each other for who we are and not what we want from each other. That's the more consumeristic mindset to be thinking, what can I have or take? It's also interesting to note how there are other places in scripture which talk about standing at the door and knocking. Matthew 24, verse 33 and Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, for example. This might be why Jewish, Catholic, and many Protestant traditions often see this book as an allegory for God's relationship with Israel and Jesus' relationship with the church or an individual's relationship with Jesus, in addition to it being a story about a man and a woman, in the sense that God does not force us into the purpose he designed us for. He calls us, gently knocks, pursues, but gives us the agency to say yes or no. We can choose to self-exile ourselves, or we can choose to be part of the story. We can keep ourselves separate, or we can be with him. We are introduced to a great prophet in the other part of the story, Elijah, and one of the worst kings of the north, Ahab. Solomon had opened the door to Phoenicia, and here Ahab married Jezebel, a high priestess from Phoenicia, the cutting edge of ruthless, oppressive idolatry. Ah, Marty Solomon and Brett Billings describe how cool the story, though, of Elijah really is. Elijah is this fiery, passionate, he has chutzpahs, they say, and bursts onto the scene in the story, and we are seeing him deal with fire in this story. So many people in the story are falling more and more in love with the empire kingdom under the gods of Baal and the Asherah, a bull, and less in love with God's kingdom of Shalom. This is particularly in the northern kingdom. Elijah declares a forthcoming drought, and we don't really know much about him. Marty points out how what's shocking in the Jewish tradition is that God is not recorded as having told Elijah this drought would happen, because remember, prophets were not fortune tellers, but God's mouthpiece, his messenger to specific people in specific context to say specific things. Yet here, after Elijah declares the drought, the very next thing in the story is that the Lord— the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. But Elijah didn't just make this up. He knew his scripture, and he knew that in the Torah, it wouldn't rain when people were unfaithful. So that's what he told King Ahab. It's not going to rain. You've been unfaithful. Marty describes this as Elijah binding God to the text in Deuteronomy and God appreciating and honoring this in kind because of his chutzpah faith. Not sure if it's true, but it's an interesting Jewish tradition of interpretation. Yet, while God provides for Elijah, it's interesting to note it's a raven, which is considered in that ancient Jewish world to be a dirty bird because they're scavengers, and the, that dirty bird is bringing him food, which Marty sees as a reminder that when we don't wait for God's timing or words, there are real consequences. In this case, many would starve. After three years, though, three years, God speaks and says to go tell Ahab it's going to rain. But Elijah gets creative. Not going to go say that directly, right? Marty sees this as God saying, enough is enough. Then Elijah not only does it, but turns this into a thing. The how he tells Ahab is going to, to reign is through a contest between Baal and Yahweh God. Elijah gives Ahab and his wife home court advantage and their animal 
their bull, Baal's animal's bull, and voice, which is thunder and lightning, as the weapon in this elaborate contest with one prophet, Elijah, to hundreds of their prophets. In this story, Elijah is calling the people to respond. He wants them to come back to the one true God and to make a decision. How long will you dance between two gods or have two different opinions? The people said nothing. In Joshua, remember, a similar situation happened, but the people did say they would worship God. But here, they say nothing. Yet, the 10 tribes of Israel in the north are reminded by the end of this story, there is only one God. There is no other. It's a lot to think about. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.